Hail and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone. So by now, if you've been paying attention, you've probably realized that my brain likes to hold on to random facts and trivia and things that realistically I'm never going to need in my everyday life. But my brain just likes holding on to the information, so it does. Well, one of the things that I'd heard mentioned before but didn't really know a lot about was that Vikings had some settlements here in North America. And recently one of my friends posted on Facebook this picture of Vikings fighting Native Americans. And it said something to the effect of, the Vikings invaded North America at one point. Can you imagine the fights between the Vikings and the Native Americans? That sort of thing. You know, something that's supposed to get your brain thinking of an awesome image. Well, that reminded me about the history of Vikings actually being in North America. And so I decided to look into that more. And that's what this week's topic is about. The Vikings settling in North America. Or, depending on who you are and how you spin it, the Vikings invading North America. Because there were technically people here already. So, you know, depending on who you are, you could go either way with it. It all started with someone being blown off course. The Vikings had settled Iceland and Greenland. Uh, Iceland had been an established colony, and then Greenland was actually settled initially by Eric the Red. He got kicked out of Iceland because he had started too many feuds and killed too many people that were his neighbors, so they wanted him gone, and he was exiled. When this happened, he decided to venture west because they knew there was land there, but they hadn't really done much with it. And he discovered Greenland and started a settlement there with a couple of other chieftains. Well, at one point, someone going there to Greenland was blown off course and ended up far to the west. His name varies a little depending on which of the original sagas you go with. There are two historical quote-unquote records that get used to kind of give us more information about what happened historically when the Vikings went to North America. They called it Vinland, or Wineland. And there are two sagas that write about the colonization, though short-lived, of Vinland. One is the saga of Eric the Red, and the other is the saga of the Greenlanders. Most historians agree that the saga of the Greenlanders is probably more accurate simply because the saga of Eric the Red was very uh, fantasy-esque. They talk about, you know, monsters and creatures that didn't really exist. So generally speaking, the Greenlander saga is considered the more reliable source. It's also the earlier source. So that's the one I'm going to use primarily today. And for anyone who's curious in terms of how much earlier of a saga it was, the Greenlanders saga, the earliest known manuscript was actually written down before 1200 AD. And then it was preserved in a book, I'm going to butcher this name, so I apologize to anyone who is Icelandic or Norwegian or any of those, Um, but it's Flatejarbok. Flatejarbok? I don't know. But it was written in 1387, give or take. Somewhere right around there. 
by comparison, Eric the Red's saga doesn't show up until the mid-13th century. So we know that the Greenlander saga existed earlier, even though we don't have the original manuscript. Also, just as a side note, these manuscripts for the two sagas were written down by scholars later, after they had originally been told. The original sagas were part of the Viking oral tradition where they passed stories along around the campfire or inside their longhouses or, you know, wherever they were telling their stories. That's how they were passed down was oral tradition. So it is possible also that some of the details got skewed slightly over the years, you know, kind of like a really long generational version of telephone Eventually, things might have gotten slightly incorrect, depending on who was telling it and how many times they had embellished it or changed it. So it is possible that Eric the Red's saga was originally more normal, more likely, and then at some point got changed. But unfortunately, there's not really a way for historians to know. One thing we do know is that according to both sagas, there were multiple voyages to Vinland and multiple times where it was sort of settled, though all of the settlements were temporary. The first one was Leif Erikson, the son of Eric the Red. He heard about the story from the person who had been blown off course. And again, this is going by the Greenlander saga storyline. According to the Greenlander saga, a man named Bjarni... Harjolfsson, and again, I'm so sorry if I'm saying that wrong, but he was blown off course and found land to the west that he wasn't expecting to find when he was trying to get to his father's land in Greenland. But what happened is he didn't actually stop and look around. He just saw that there was land there that he wasn't expecting to see and then found a way to turn around and go home because that's where he wanted to head in the first place. He and his men decided not to stop and explore. Well, Leif Erikson heard about this and decided he wanted to know more about what was there in those lands that Harjolfsson and his men had seen. So he went back with an expedition. And depending on the story you read, some say that Eric the Red was going to go with him, but then something happened and they took it as a bad omen, so he stayed home. Others say that Eric was actually there. Again, it partly depends on which saga you go with. So, grain of salt on all of it. But at this point in the Greenlander saga, Leif Erikson goes to investigate these lands that Harry Olfsen found and didn't really look into. And while he's there, he actually lands on each of them. The first one he gets to is very flat, and there's a lot of stone and dirt, and it's just a flat land with nothing there. And he named that Helluland or Heluland, again, not a language I speak, or I'm even really very familiar with at all, so I'm really sorry if I'm butchering these names, but it's something like that. Based off of the description of the land and also what evidence that historians do have, they believe that the land he was describing is actually Baffin Island, which is off the coast of mainland northern Canada and is the fifth largest island in the world. From Heluland, Leif and his men traveled further south to a land that was lightly forested and had some trees, but wasn't real, real good for pasture or farming or anything like that. And they called it Markland or forest land. A lot of archaeologists now believe that Markland most likely refers to what is known as modern day Labrador in Canada. 
Leif and his men continued farther south and eventually discovered a land that was much more suitable for what they wanted. There were still forests, there were still woods, but there was also good land for pasture and grass and good fishing and a bay. And they called that land Vinland after one of the men who was on the trip with them, a man from Germany who was named Tyrker, T-Y-R-K-E-R, I think it's Tyrker. He actually discovered some sort of grapevines, or at least what he called grapevines, and he was very excited because he recognized them as what is used to make wine where he was from. A lot of historians now believe that what they actually found may have been berry vines or some sort of berry bushes because grapes wouldn't actually have grown as far north as the settlements that we've found that most believe to be the settlement of Leif Erikson's voyage. Leif Erikson and the men he had taken with him spent a winter at Vinland and collected goods like berries and fish and hides and wood and took it back with them to Greenland. There he told stories about what he had seen and what he had found and all of the riches of the land, and eventually his brother Thorvald also decided to go and explore and possibly create his own settlement. Unfortunately for Thorvald, his expedition was not as lucky as his brother Leif's, and he actually ended up being killed by some of the natives. So that didn't work out nearly as well for him. According to the Greenlander saga, he was buried at the site where he and his men had camped originally. Despite the bad luck that befell Thorvald, there were others who were still interested in exploring the land of Vinland, pillaging its riches, and maybe making a settlement if they could. The next expedition that left was led by a man named Thorvin Karlsefni, and he took his wife Gudrid, who, according to some historical documents, may have actually been Thorvald's wife prior to his death. So Thorvin took Thorvald's wife to be his own. Very confusing, but she went with him as well as a lot of other men, possibly up to 250 by some accounts, and a few other women as well. And they all took multiple ships, went and settled in the area. Their settlement was actually much more successful. They even managed to do some trading with some of the natives. They called the Native Americans Skralingyar, and again, not a good language for me to be speaking because I don't know the words, but depending on what translations you're looking at, one possibility for the etymology or the basis of the word is that a word meaning a word called skra, which meant dried skin, may have been in reference to the pelts that they wore. So it's possible that because they were wearing animal pelts, they were basically calling them like dried skin people or pelted people. Some definitions, depending on which ones you look at, also could mean barbarian, because in modern Icelandic, skrælingi means barbarian, and Danish uses skraling, meaning weakling. So eh, there's some variations there. It depends. I mean, from everything we know about them, it does seem like the Vikings definitely thought they were top dog and felt somewhat superior to other races in some ways. So it is possible that they were using terms that were not the nicest. But regardless, they referred to them that way, and in the sagas they're referred to that way. And they did some trading with them, but there are stories about the Skrælingjar, the Native Americans, being frightened of the bull 
that the Vikings had brought with them because it wasn't something they were used to seeing. So at one point when Thorvin and his men had to fight off a large band of upset Native Americans, they used the bull and sent it ahead of them to frighten and scare and distract the Native Americans while they were fighting. And it worked for them. But ultimately, they did decide to leave. They were there for three years, which, at least from what I could find, appears to be the longest settlement that existed for the Vikings. A lot of people were there for a year and a half or so. They, you know, they'd get there during fall, maybe, and stay till the next spring when it was easier to travel back. But the longest-lived settlement from the expeditions in the sagas is the one of Thorvin Karl Zefni. The last expedition in the sagas is actually either a very bloody one or a very heroic one, depending on which of the sagas you go with. So here's where I'm actually going to tell you both, because I think this makes a big difference. So the last expedition in the sagas is actually one that was led by Leif's sister, well, half-sister, Freydis. She took her husband and an expedition of about 30 men and made an agreement with two other men from their town, um, two brothers, that all of them, each person, would take 30 men with them and they would go and make a settlement. Freydis, though, in the Greenlander saga is rather manipulative and also a little conniving. She went to Leif and asked for permission to use the booths, the huts that he had established on the land, and he gave her permission to borrow them. Well, the other two expedition leaders understandably assumed that they would also be able to use these huts. But when they all got to Vinland, she kicked them out and said, no, I was given permission to use these, not you two. So that didn't sit great. And then later, again in the Greenlander saga, she connives to get the two brothers killed. She actually goes and talks to one of the brothers with bare feet and says to him, well, you know, I want to go home. I would like to trade my ship and something, some money, whatever, for your brother's bigger ship so that we can go home because I'm tired of this place. And the brother she's speaking with says, oh, okay, yeah, I mean, fine. That, that should be reasonable. You know, that's no problem. She then goes back to her bed and crawls into bed with cold feet, which wake up her husband. Her husband then asks her, you know, why are your feet cold? What was happening? And his name was Thorvard. Another Thor name, just to make things confusing. But his name was Thorvard. And Freydis told Thorvard that she had gone to speak to the two brothers about buying their boat and that they had used her in a very dishonorable fashion and beaten her. And that if he were a man, he would defend her, but she doesn't think he will because he's, you know, he's weak, whatever, blah, blah. So in that story, she is very, very conniving and manipulative because for obvious reasons at this point, Thorvard says, what the heck just happened? He gets up and he goes and with some of his men attacks and kills the two brothers in their sleep. This then proceeds to where they kill all of the two brothers' men and when none of her men will go kill the women, Freydis picks up an axe and goes and kills the women from that expedition. So very bloody, very vicious. There's no obvious cause for it other than maybe there was some friction between Freydis and the two brothers that doesn't get described well in the saga. 
but it's a very, very bloody, awful, conniving end for those poor men. Now, on the other hand, if you look at Eric the Red's saga, what happens is that while Freitas is there, everyone's being attacked by Native Americans and the men are running away and she bravely picks up a sword from a man who has fallen, exposes one of her breasts to the Native Americans and strikes it with a sword. I had trouble figuring out if this was them trying to say that she cut off her breast or just that she showed them she had one. But either way, the basic account is that for some reason, this frightened the Native Americans and they fled. Given that, I kind of lean more towards maybe they meant she cut it off, which is absolutely horrible, but it's hard to say. Either way, she's portrayed as a hero in that one, as opposed to the villain. Obviously, this is so long ago, we don't really know for certain which one is accurate, so we just have to go based off what we have. I will say that, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of historians believe that Eric the Red's saga is less accurate due to the fanciful nature of some of the things they fight and some of the things they see. Also, along those same lines, Freitas was Eric the Red's daughter. So it is very possible that if she did do something that was really awful, he would have wanted it portrayed in a better way, and therefore in his version of the story that was told would have specifically had her not be the villain. These are both very possible things, so it's hard to say. Either way, Freitas and her men returned, and not everyone else did. All right, so let's go into our break, and when we come back, I'll tell you about some of the findings we have that actually support the historical facts, or at least stories, from the sagas. Okay, everyone, so for this week's mid-roll, or whatever you want to call it, I want to talk about two of our creators here at Nerdsmith that actually don't create podcasts, they create YouTube videos. And I really recommend checking them both out. The first one is someone who any Critical Role fans out there will have heard of, most likely, and that is Aiden Chan. He does great music theme songs for the different Critical Role characters. He actually just started working on a new one for Ford that he posted on his Twitter. It's a work in progress, so it's not done, but it already sounds amazing. You can find him at Aiden Chan, that's A-I-D-E-N Chan on YouTube. And you can also find his videos at nerdsmith.org. The second creator I want to talk about is named Matt. You can find him on YouTube at the other DM named Matt. And he does a great show talking about how to create world building objects. So things like trees, for example, are his first video. How to make trees for your D&D map settings or for your RPG wargame settings on a budget. So it's perfectly designed for anyone who doesn't have a lot of money, but still wants to have something that looks really awesome for their players. So again, you can find him on YouTube at the other DM named Matt channel, or you can look him up on our Nerdsmith website, nerdsmith.org. And with that, let's get back to this week's topic. Okay, so for the first half of the episode, I talked about all of the history, quote-unquote, 
that we have relating to the Viking settlements of North America. And now I'm going to talk about the actual facts that we have that we know exist for certain. The biggest one, and really the only super concrete one, other than a couple other little things, is that they actually found a Viking settlement in Newfoundland. Newfoundland is where they believe the historical Vinland actually is. They have evidence based off of an old map from the 16th century that actually shows the land in the North Atlantic and things like Greenland and where they might have settled to the west. This map is called the Skalholt map, and it was from 16th century Iceland. It shows Heluland and Markland, and it also shows southwest of that a peninsula that they called the Promontorium Winlandiae, which roughly corresponds to the Great Northern Peninsula of Newfoundland. And at the very tip of that peninsula, they actually found a Norse settlement buried under the ground. It's something that they've actually rebuilt since then, and it's a historical site, a historical heritage site even by the UN. And at that spot, they call it and this is French, so prepare for more language butchering, I'm sorry, but Lance au Meadows, I think I'm saying that right, it's L apostrophe A-N-S-E-A-U-X Meadows. So if you want to look it up, you can look that up and find out more information, but they found that settlement and they've actually rebuilt the model of it and they have been able to do a lot of research on all of the things they found at that site. Most of the evidence points to it having been used only once for a few years, so whether that means the information from the saga is not 100% accurate, or whether it means it's maybe one of the secondary settlements that were made later, such as the one that Thorvald, Leif's brother, and his men had during the second expedition, it's hard to say. But that is definitely evidence that the Norse people, the Vikings, were in Northern America, Granted, it's all the way up in Newfoundland, they didn't come south necessarily down to the U.S. area, but they did have settlements in North America. Other evidence that we have from back then is that historians and archaeologists have looked at some of the wood samples they have found in both archaeological digs here in North America, as well as some back in Greenland and Iceland of old Viking settlements, and they have found the woods from the other continents. So let me break this down. So they have found wood from trees that only grow in North America in settlements in things like boats and buildings all the way in Greenland and Iceland. And conversely, they have found evidence of wood that only grew in Europe or only grew in Greenland and Iceland back over here in North America. So this is further proof that at some point the woods made the journey across the ocean. There are some people who argue that some of the wood, especially over in Greenland and Iceland, may have been from driftwood, and there's no way to discount this as a possibility. It is possible that some of it was driftwood, but given the historical accounts and given the facts that we have, it does seem to me at least like it's less likely that it's just driftwood and more likely that it actually was taken from one country to another by the Vikings. Honestly, the settlement at La Anse Meadows 
and those pieces of wood that have traveled back and forth aren't the only thing. There's been other little archaeological artifacts that have been found that, again, make more sense to have traveled from one country to another. They have found evidence of Native American arrowheads inside buried Vikings. So obviously at some point they had some interactions and some fights. So we know that that happened. We don't know necessarily 100% exactly where all of these things happened, other than Laanxiao Meadows, they haven't found the other settlements definitively. There's been evidence here and there, but no solid findings, other than suspecting that Heloland is the Baffin Island that I mentioned earlier, and that Markland is Labrador. So we know they stayed mostly up north. There is some evidence in some of the sagas that's mentioned that they may have even gone further south and discovered some other areas. And for Thorvald's colonization or expedition, whatever you want to call it, since they weren't there for that long, he and his men actually had two different sites they spent time at. One was called Hop, and that one most recently a archaeologist thinks she may have found where it's located. Her name is Brigida Wallace, and she's an award-winning specialist in Norse archaeology and Viking evidence in the West. And she says that she has uncovered new evidence that the site known as Hop, which meant Tidal Lagoon, is in the province of New Brunswick on the country's east coast in Canada. If she's correct, it would be the second settlement site that's been found in North America that's been definitively found as opposed to just stories about it. She studied a lot of Norse texts as well as the descriptions of the different voyages and based off of those and the findings at La Ansel Meadows, she believes that the site for Hop was in New Brunswick, specifically in the Miramichi Chalour, so I'm probably not saying that right because that's French, Miramichi Chalour Bay area, somewhere in there. The descriptors used for Hop include things like wild grapes and salmon, coastal sandbanks, and Native Americans that used animal hide canoes. Some of the research also shows that there's evidence of trees found at La Ansel Meadows, which would have suggested that they set up camp in the New Brunswick area at one point because those trees are not normally found that far north. An example of this also is that New Brunswick is the northern limit for grapes. So if they actually had grapes, which there is some evidence of, they would have had to have gone as far south as New Brunswick at least. She also does, though, believe that it's possible that they had multiple settlements in the area and not just one set settlement, which would potentially explain why we haven't found more evidence of it since they would have taken things with them, used them for the summer or something like that while they were collecting things, and then gone back home with everything. They wouldn't have necessarily left everything behind at the site. So I hope you enjoyed finding out about the Viking settlements in North America. I definitely recommend looking into the book that I used as my primary source for this. It's a really good book called The Vikings in North America, The History and Legacy of the Norse Settlements in Greenland and Vinland. And it's by the Charles River Editors, and I definitely recommend it. It's not a super long book, so it's very easy to get through. I'm a fast reader, but I got through it in maybe an hour, and that's with me taking notes and everything. 
and I wasn't reading necessarily for, you know, memorization or anything just to get the information out of it. So you might take longer, you might take less time. It'll depend on how you like to read. But I definitely recommend checking it out. It had a lot of great information. It was published in 2015, so it's pretty current in terms of the most recent information. The information I was talking about with Dr. Wallace, who found the information I was talking about with Brigitte Wallace, who found the possible site of HOP, is actually from a news article by The Independent in the UK. And she was quoted at several points during the article. It was published in March of this year. The title of the article is Long Lost North American Viking Settlement Was in Canada, Say Archaeologists. So I also recommend reading that if you want to find out more about what Miss Birgitta Wallace said. I did also do some online research beyond the article, including an article by the Smithsonian, which talks about the Vikings and their visit to North America. You can find it at the Smithsonian Magazine website, or you can go to smithsonian.com and look it up. The name of the article is The Vikings, A Memorable Visit to America. Of all of these sources, the most informative was the book, The Vikings in North America. It's available on Kindle, on Kindle Unlimited, so you can actually read it for free if you have a Kindle Unlimited account. And then it was also available, I believe, in paperback. So I would recommend checking that out. One nice thing about that particular book is that in the back of it, they have a bibliography that's at least a page long that talks about all of the different sources they used. So if you did want to look more in-depth into this particular topic, you could actually go through that bibliography and find a lot of other sources that you could read more on. So definitely would recommend checking that one out if that's the route you would like to go with it. Well, as always, I hope you enjoyed learning about this week's topic. I personally really found it fascinating to find out more about exactly how the Vikings came over here, where where they settled, where they might have settled, why they would come over here in the first place, that sort of thing. So I would recommend looking more into it if you found it as interesting as I did. There were a lot of other books. There's also actually a couple of documentaries I didn't use them as sources partly because they're both kind of old. They aren't recent, so there's not as much recent information in them. One of them was on Ancient Mysteries on A&E. So Leonard Nimoy was the narrator for that. And he talks about it. It's specifically about the Vikings in North America. Another documentary was on the History Channel on the show Digging for the Truth. And again, it was about the Vikings, but that one was more about how the Vikings could have even gotten to North America, the actual voyage. So the information about their shipbuilding and the history of the shipbuilding and how the ships could have made it across the ocean was more so at least the initial focus of that one. And again, it's an older show. The one from Ancient Mysteries with Leonard Nimoy is from 94, so it wasn't recent enough for me to feel like it was a good source really, to a certain extent, because of recent developments. And then the other show was from 2004. So again, I wanted something that was more current, because especially with things like history and science, we're constantly discovering new information. 
So if I don't use something that's more current, I would be concerned that I wasn't then giving you all of the facts because my information would stop too soon. So those are both shows you could look into. I did look on Amazon. They weren't available to watch with Amazon Prime. I didn't check Netflix, not going to lie. I did also find them both on YouTube. So if you look up those shows, you can find them on YouTube. You look up on YouTube, the Vikings in North America, both of those pop up. So you can look for them that way. Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Hello, fans of Critical Role. Do you mean to make your music more melodious? Do you seek to sing like Scanlan Shorthalt? We'll look no further than Crosswords, a new video series from the creator of the Critical Role Hamilton mashup album. And also this song. Crosswords with Will Crossway. Advice and analysis for the musician at the gaming table. Available on nerdsmith.org or wherever you watch your YouTube videos. YouTube, right? Probably YouTube.